Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause, where we talk about this time of life, mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen. Each week, I'm joined by top professionals dropping their tips and advice. Remember, episodes drop every Tuesday. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a beat. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review it. Thank you, because this helps others to find the show. You can check out our website, find out which episodes are coming up, and get the latest blog and advice by going to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com, and get ready to thrive, not just survive, through perimenopause and beyond. Welcome to this week's episode of Thriving Through Menopause with me, Clarissa. Today we're going to talk about pelvic health. Well, it's not the first time, of course, on Thriving Through Menopause that we've talked about pelvic health, but we are going to talk about it from an integrative health perspective. Those of you might be wondering what that is, we will go deeper into it, but it's when we have maybe traditional approaches, but we also have things like yoga, mindfulness, functional medicine. And that's becoming, maybe you've noticed, increasingly more common. And what we do know from scientific evidence is that patients often have a much better outcome, a much better response when integrative methods are used. So I'm delighted today to be joined by Dr. Ginger Garner. Welcome to the show, Ginger. Thank you, Clarissa. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Well, I'm delighted to have you here. I first came across your work on Yoga You Online, which is a fantastic resource for those for my listeners. You learn so much about health and well-being there. But a little introduction to, to Dr. Ginger first. She is a integrative physiotherapist, educator. She's the founder of Ghana Pelvic Health and the CEO of the Living Well Institute, which practices and teaches integrative practices to other medical and clinical people. So, Ginger, such a wonderful approach. Tell a little bit about your own story and how you came to be working in an integrative space. Oh, my goodness. Um, for me, it really came through my work um, being thrust into an underserved area that would go on to really be, it was in the top three hardest hit counties in the country for the opioid epidemic. And so I was a baby PT. I mean, I just dropped into that um, trial by fire. And I quickly realized that although I, I had a wonderful education, I went to one of, um, at that time, it was tied for the, the um, number one physical therapy school in the country. I went to UNC Chapel Hill. But we weren't taught any integrated approaches. We weren't taught um, prevention and health promotion. In fact, I had to break out and go into the School of Public Health and get permission to go and study there while I was studying in the School of Medicine because they didn't intersect. And of course, that was 25 years ago now. And um, so that's what thrust me into it because I realized that what I was doing wasn't going to be effective 
Um, and the way I really realized it was I was working with a patient one day and I looked up and I realized everything I'm doing is integrative with this patient. And people just started to drive from further and further away to get this particular approach. And so that that was kind of the birth of, oh my gosh, like I can't do PT without integrative practices. Um, and I also, there wasn't any continuing ed- education at the time. So that's when I started the Institute so that I could begin to teach others how to do that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is kind of those moments, isn't it? When you realize that the old way isn't, isn't quite working when you're working with difficult situations and I saw that when I worked at the Women's Health Institute of Sydney it was a wonderful clinic where they had fully integrative and women were making progress with gynecological issues that they had made no progress with for you know decades that was last chance the stop that really was for some of those women and I loved the 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 foresight of putting the patient in the middle and all these wonderful approaches that were both holistic and allopathic together tremendous progress so yes i i hear you very very strongly there um but let's talk about pelvic health because that becomes really a much bigger conversation doesn't it within menopause and what does a holistic approach to pelvic health look like and how is that maybe different to what my listeners have heard from their clinicians or PTs. Yeah. Um, you know, that's um, the, the question that I get all the time from patients that call. I do free consults for people and I get on the phone and that's the first question is, okay, I saw or I read or something and so tell me what you're doing that's different. Um, first of all, I think that if you listen to a patient, if you listen to the person and you listen to their story, you'll get all the information that you need to then do a, a thorough physical you know, assessment. Uh, and I often feel like, oh my gosh, the majority of the time when women come in, they haven't been listened to and their symptoms have been disregarded, marginalized, belittled. They've been made to feel like they should just accept it, that it's just part of aging and it isn't. Um, I had someone come in and I had, um, she brought her test results in with her, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And her cortisol was flatlined. Just a flat, and it should be a nice diurnal, the 24-hour level should you know, be a nice little oh, yeah. bell curve and then you go back down. It was flat. And she had been to uh, a well-educated provider who said, oh, that's normal for your age. Whoa. Right. (laughs) Someone who should be well-versed, you know, in in endocrinology, but obviously wasn't listening to them, wasn't apparently well-versed in in holistic um, um, assessment. So I said, well, first of all, that would be incorrect. (laughs) Your cortisol level should always, you know, be um, this beautiful curve that it isn't right now, but we'll work on getting it back. So that's the first way that it's different is that I want them to come in with or get particular labs or tests done. Um, fortunately, there are many different avenues for doing that now that makes it affordable and accessible for people. 
Um, so after listening, it usually turns to, okay, um, if we're evaluating all the major lifestyle components, which um, we can detail sleep, uh, physical activity, it's an endocrine activity too, um, stress management, relationships, environmental influences, and nutritional triggers. Once we go through all that, that then, you know, my, my red flags go up on the labs that might be missing, the information that might be missing that's never been measured. Uh, I've, I've heard from too many practitioners um, that aren't using this approach that, and this is just a quote from the ether, right? I hear this all the time. Um, oh, we don't even do hormonal testing. It doesn't matter. It changes too much. We'll just treat your symptoms which should give everyone pause. So there's a lot of education that has to be done to um, teach people and empower women about what they do have a right to get and what they should, um, the care they should be getting um, instead of what they're often being told, which can be very incorrect. And, and that, Ginger, is something that we see all around the world. You hear it, women in the UK, Australia. I've had people come to me for stress and anxiety who've been told, that's just your age. And I'm saying, well, have you had no tests? What's your thyroid like? Uh, what are your DHEA levels like? What do your cortisol look like? And there's just, uh, they said, oh, my doctor won't do those tests. Exactly. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so our we, work. It really is the whole person. <laughs> it, yeah, it's our work. And it's really the whole person then. So then what we're really looking at is this whole person. As you said, it's sleep, it's stress, it's it's diet, it's all these factors because they're all coming together. And, of course, all of these impact on our pelvic floor, don't they? They do, um, top to bottom. And once they realize how simple some of the interventions can be and some of the tests can be and how instant they can feel improvement. It's very empowering. It takes them from a place of despair and I just have to put up this with this due to age because my doctor said so to, oh my gosh, I can do something about this. I can feel so much better instantly and also cut down on with things like, you know, bioidentical um, HRT or hormone replacement therapy, cut down on other chronic disease risk factors, um, osteoporosis, cardiovascular disease, um, and all kinds of sexual dysfunction that can, that can follow, including certain types of cancer, just from getting the holistic, using the holistic approach. Yeah, so the flow-on effect is much, much bigger than just you know, crossing your legs and or not jumping and all right. the rest, which is a little bit of where a lot of the current practices with respect to Kegels sit. Not that Kegels are, you know, r bad or wrong, maybe, but they don't give the whole picture. They're very sort of particular types of exercises. Yeah, it's they? just a single dimension. And um, what has really driven that home for me and what is a huge game changer for my patients is I now uh, have ultrasound imaging in my clinic so I can show them how um, Kegels are not the answer. 
how they can, they are just a single dimension. I consider pelvic health to really have three dimensions, um, the voice, the diaphragm, and the pelvic floor. I call it a three diaphragm or a three, 3D approach. Those are the three dimensions. And through that, it impacts sexual function, breathing, um, speaking, singing, digestion, mental health and mood regulation. Pretty much anything that matters to us is controlled through that, that pressure system, if you will. So what I do when they come in, typically if, they're, if it's leakage or prolapse or dysperineal sexual dysfunction, whatever, whatever their um, issue is, um, we'll do imaging the first day and then look at what's the pelvic floor doing? Where is it? Is it playing well with others? Are the abdominals bullying the pelvic floor and vice versa? Um, are the hip muscles contributing too much? Are they substituting? Is that where their back pain is coming from? Because oftentimes they are told, oh, those aches and pains at age. Actually, it's not. It's motor patterning. Um, and sometimes micronutrient deficiencies, hormonal dysregulation, um, and that, that ever-present queen uh, cortisol you know, in the body. So when they can visualize that and see it, they come away with a, with a massively increased appreciation and excitement that just with changing their breath type, they've just improved pelvic floor function, the location of their bladder, where the anorectal canal is. And if they're struggling with constipation, then we can, we can automatically treat that and see it change in real time. Yeah. And it's interesting you talk about breath and and it, one of the breathing methods, I did, and I'm not a pelvic floor specialist at all, you know, I've, I've kind of learned this later, is that one of the key ones we do for people who have chronic pain is a three breathing diaphragm practice. And, and it was a revelation to me, I mean, that's just 10 years ago, that we even had three diaphragms. Yeah, some people. Because I always thought I had one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and there are uh, Bordonians in here, two researchers, I believe, out of Italy that say we have five um, diaphragms. If you can, if you consider um, the the fascial planes and the cerebrospinal fluid, and you know, and that aspect um, as well. But the three biggest drivers that you can see most immediate impacts um, in in perimenopausal, postmenopausal is going to be looking at those those three dimensions. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, so it's interesting that things like breath work then can have such a big impact on the kind of, shall we say, traditional pelvic floor that women may have some sense of, my listeners may have some sense of, but don't connect them together. Right. And it is, it is not, you know, to those who are listening, it's not something you did wrong. It's, it is birth. It, it is changes that are going to inevitably happen, but they none of them have to result in loss of function or satisfaction at all. It's just uh, that no, and I think that's um, yeah. it's just that they you know you, you didn't get the help that you need because either we didn't have the technology or you didn't have the access or you didn't know about it or your provider didn't know about it. So I never want um, women or people to beat themselves up thinking, oh, I should have just done X Y Z. Well. It, it's not that easy, and, it, and and as a result, it's not your fault, you know. Yeah, 
And, and it's right, it is birth. And then, of course, it is all the changes that we go through in, in menopause, the big hormonal changes that maybe put us, how would you put it, at some, some potential risk rather than a, a, an, end, an, a, an end that's going to definitely happen. Right. There are changes to the connective tissue, the elasticity of the vaginal walls, for example, that can, um, estrogen will make tissues plumper, you know, and, and at the same time, a little um, more flexible, um, which is good for some conditions, right? But if someone has prolapse, well, then we, when we add estrogen, when we add e estradiol or E2 back into the equation, they might experience symptomatic increase of pelvic organ prolapse symptoms. So we have to figure out what is the best balance. We want them to have, um, we want them to have enough estrogen, enough progesterone, testosterone, DHEA to support organs so that the vaginal walls aren't thin, so that they don't have, you know, pain with attempted penetration or intercourse of some type. Um, but we also want to support the internal organs so that they stay, you know, high and tight and happy and where they're supposed to. So that is where also um, the higher level um, diagnostic screening techniques, basically, that we have with imaging can come in handy. And things like pessaries, um, fitting of pessaries, and if they need those, because those aren't permanent. You take them in, you take them out. We use it during pelvic floor PT. Sometimes it is very transient, temporary, because we just need a temporary lift, a little boost. We do our therapy. We unload the pelvic floor. I use vocalization to strengthen the pelvic floor. And then sometimes six months later, no pessary needed. Amazing. So that pessary is inserted mm -hmm. what, into the wall of the vagina? Yeah, into the vaginal canal. And there are lots of different shapes of pessaries or little pieces of silicone and rings or donuts or cubes. And they can fit. You don't feel them at all. It's not like when you would feel like, you know, previously a tampon or something sitting in the vaginal canal. You yeah. don't feel them at all and shouldn't feel them. But it does offload um, the pelvic floor by bringing the, the bladder and the anorectal canal. There's not a lot of space, right? So we got to keep them in, their, in the correct spaces <laughs> of, so that the pelvic floor is allowed to work. Um, and that can really make a difference when we're trying to rehab from leakage, um, any type of leakage or a prolapse. Yes. Yes. And I think that's for the listeners. It's not just urinary leakage, is it? Correct. Right. And that's why if you are experiencing leakage, A, it, it usually can be resolved. There's about a 70% cure rate of that once we determine why it's why it is actually happening, because there's a lot of different reasons for leakage. Um, a, it doesn't have to happen. And B, you've got a really good chance of completely curing it. That is amazing, really, because I think that's not what women always expect. And, um, you know, if they're just sent away with kegels at best, right? Um, they usually struggle to do that and to have any discernible change or there's a minor change, but it's not sustainable. Right. And a lot of times what women think they're doing when they're doing a Kegel or an exercise, exercising the pelvic floor is a breath hold or it's called a, it's a paradoxical effect. Um, that's another, uh, 
reason that you know in using imaging it can be very trauma informed because then I don't necessarily have to go to internal work and assessment the very first time someone comes in. We can, in a very non-invasive way, transabdominally, get a quick image of the bladder and the pelvic floor, the associated hip muscles, a great deal of things, and then retrain that. So often in the first visit, they can walk away and feel better already. That I love that because it, internal examinations can be quite traumatizing. And I think we're learning that a lot of women have been through traumatic incidences. Um, I have an upcoming guest who's going to talk more about yoga therapy and trauma and yeah, what happened to her. So we know. And so, yes, it can feel very invasive. So it's wonderful that there is this trauma-informed care that you're working with, Ginger. And it's, it's the first time I've heard of that, really. Yeah, it is. It is a blessing. It is a good time to be alive, to have this technology, um, to have um, the testing that we do at our fingertips so easily done. It really takes the fear out of it. It takes the anxiety out of it. And they know that within a few visits, they're able to really turn things around and they don't have to have drugs or surgery to do it. Um, and another way that we're able to provide, or I'm able to provide in clinical care, this, this idea of a trauma-informed. Um... The, is it morning yet, deal. How about now? Or now? Because morning time is McDonald's breakfast time. And that's the best time of all the times. Get any sized iced coffee for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. And sweeten the deal when you pair it with a baked apple or pumpkin and creme pie. After all, why wait to treat yourself? Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the U.S. Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. That's cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. Lens is through using the voice. A lot of people don't realize every word that we speak, every time if we sing, if we are teaching in public, it's we're loading the pelvic floor or unloading it, one or the other, but it's not benign to impacting the pelvic floor. So a lot of people, and I've had this, I have this happen quite a bit. They'll come in with pelvic floor issues, but they also notice their voice has changed. Maybe there's cracks or pops in their voice. It's not as strong. It feels sounds weaker. It sounds um, breathier. And we can correlate those two things. Uh, usually when they are speaking and I can image that, I can instantly show, oh, gosh, when you say this, the bladder's dropping, you know, um, 10 millimeters on your ultrasound. And that puts it below the cutoff for where it has to be in order not to leak. So that means just sitting here speaking could be stressing it out. So we work on retraining that. And that is far less invasive and frankly more pleasant than digging around internally in the pelvic floor, right? <laughs> so, 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. And again, it shows the connection between the diaphragms. But also, this is an area we hold on to when we're highly stressed. I mean, I know that in the past when I was pretty frantic <laughs> in my corporate days, my voice could go well, like this in a meeting and suddenly, you yeah. know, there's all this pressure. Now, that didn't impact my pelvic floor, luckily. But a, a lot of women are quite are, are very tight here in this diaphragm. For so many reasons. Um, <clears throat> I just taught a trauma-informed course for women's health not too long ago and was pulling the research and literature on even at the highest levels of leadership in our country on the Supreme Court, female justices were interrupted. I don't want to misquote, but it was by and large constantly. They were the only ones that were interrupted. And they have implemented since some guidelines so that everyone can be heard. But if they're being constantly interrupted by male justices, then in the corporate world, you know, from from bedroom to boardroom, how are we being interrupted constantly? How is that traumatizing us? And also just for the stature of women, usually being smaller and shorter, we're always looking up to speak and that tightens everything. So there's just there's many practical ways, mechanical ways that we're put at a disadvantage, but then there's also those sociocultural, you know, there's gender bias, there's ageism, there's sexism, there's racism. There's all these things tied up into it as well, not just the mechanical aspect of um, our voice. Yeah, that's amazing. It's amazing, and it is amazing how very quickly our voice gets higher and higher pitched in those situations because we're desperately wanting to be heard. And in fact, we're less likely to be heard than if we were to drop a, a slight pitch, then then we'll actually find our message getting through. But it's not our first reaction, right? It's important that for vocal preservation, it's we want to be, we want women and I want women to feel empowered with their voice so that also they're not leaking, right? Um, but I also um, want them to be able to preserve their voice because if they are pitching up or pitching down and it's too far, then they are stressing the entire system, which then has that ripple effect. And thanks to our friend, the vagus nerve and the phrenic nerve, that sends those stress and pain messages. Um, so we, I, I work to really, you know, smooth that out by helping them find their pitch, vocalize, or if they're singing or teaching, find a way um, to, because vocalization is, is a sport, singing is a sport, to offload the pelvic floor and make what they do with their voice a pelvic floor workout. So we don't, we don't need to do any Kegels at all. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that so much that you could use, and it, and some of those are quite quite fun, aren't they? Oh, I mean, yeah. Things like singing and humming and and, and if you look yeah. at the research on um, singing in a choir, you don't have to sing with a choir, but and you look at the social and physical benefits of singing with other people. Um, but you can also sing in the shower or your car too. It really is incredible. So. The whole realm of, of sound as therapy, the voice and music, the entire spectrum is so powerful that we can't ignore it. 
no, that and I I absolutely love that. I mean, I just love that 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 holistic, really truly holistic approach that is so different. Yes, that there's so much evidence of its power. I I absolutely think that's amazing. So, I mean, how would you sum up? the superiority of an integrative pelvic therapy approach compared to the old ways or the more traditional way of approaching typical pelvic issues? Well, I call it a film approach, functional, integrative, and lifestyle medicine. So first of all, we're not taught this in our training um, this, is, this is something we have to go outside and get continuing ed and mentorship and other professional courses, postgraduate education in this to get it. But once you have it, it is, it's so much more powerful than just pelvic PT alone. It also allows us to look at and consider, understand what kind of tests are needed. Um, I will ask them, my intake forms I warn my patients are very long because I want to know all the details. I want to know all the story. What are your symptoms? And then we determine what kind of tests may be needed. Do we need to, within our team, work within our network to have certain labs ordered or can they access them directly? Um, Which if we have time, I'll share how they can do some of that. And then other things like, you know, how they're sleeping, what melatonin and magnesium levels look like. What's their antioxidant status? Um, Things like methylation, which is your DNA, preservation or how it is being preserved or not, can have a big role to play in your menopausal symptoms and how we individually manage it. And of course, none of that would be possible if we weren't using this kind of film, you know, approach. Yeah, definitely. I mean, do, do talk a little bit more about how people can access these yeah, uh, absolutely. The um, the gold standard, and of course, gold standards change with research, but the current gold standard that is being used is something called the Dutch test, D-U-T-C-H, the Dutch test. And um, listeners can go to dutchtest.com and you can get a sample form of a lot of the things that I have mentioned, methylation, glutathione. B12, melatonin, hormone levels, cortisol levels, metabolism of hormone and cortisol levels. Um, it, it's, a, it's very comprehensive. Um, that alone is often enough to get started to say, okay, do they need that referral for uh, bioidenticals or do we need to actually look at some lower level supplementation like magnesium? There are so many different types, which types are the, you know, which type is the best? Do they need um, uh, an extended release melatonin or just straight up melatonin? There are a lot of things that we can look at, but if they start with Dutch tests, which you can access on your own, and I'm happy to give the, um, to share a code with listeners and in a follow-up, I get nothing from it. <laughs> no, 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 no financial interest at all, but it, it does um, give the, the, anyone who uses it, uh, a, a hefty discount off of that, because I think people should be able to um, get this information directly. And it will explain some of the things to you. Um, of course, you can follow up with your integrated practitioner as well to help interpret it. But that puts the knowledge in your hands. And 
as the proverb goes, you know, knowledge is power. We want to put that power back in, in your hands so that you know what you need. Because in the healthcare system, you really do have to be your own advocate. Oh, yes. <laughs> that If that ever was true, it is true today. And I, and I think that's whether you live in the U.S., whether you live in Europe, whether you live anywhere, I think we have to be our own advocates. We have to come armed with more knowledge, more questions. You know, I sometimes say to people, take a notebook with you to your meeting and have your questions written down there and write things down because you won't remember what was said and it's nobody else's business because it's your house right well said <laughs> yeah but dutch tests yes i think we've had that mentioned a number of times over the over the years of the podcast and clearly is you know really gained prominence as a gold standard functional medicine it is, it is a wonderful uh, starting point i would say a next level for um people who are having particular gut issues and that it's just so common going through this and experiencing it, whether it's a candida issue or just some kind of, you know, functional issue like constipation. I, I do my investigation side from the, the therapy um, realm using imaging to determine why someone has constipation. If there's not a mechanical reason that I can find that they're having constipation, if it's not a nutritional trigger, then I often have to um, uh, look a little deeper into um, the gut dysbiosis and the microbiome aspect of gut health. And so the organic acids test, you may, may have heard mentioned quite a bit to the oak test, is a next level test that is pretty commonly done, um, as well as um, a methylation panel so that you can understand what, how well is you know, my DNA being preserved. So really deep level things, if we think about a kind of an overview, but again, the gut coming in, not, un not unsurprisingly, given that it's the gut brain connection and the gut also, I mean, it's pretty close to your pelvic floor. And if this isn't working there, it's going to disrupt the whole system. Yeah, you know, the ancient system of yogic medicine is Ayurveda and, um, and their mantra is everything begins and ends with the gut. You know, if the gut's not happy, like a mom, if mom is not happy, nobody's happy. Um, so <laughs> we, we do, we, you know, in a way it's like full circle, right? Ayurvedic medicine has always preached gut health, gut health, gut health. And um, it's only been in the last 10 or 15 years we've been to really you know, really appreciated just how important gut function is. And from the oral cavity all the way down to the pelvic floor. If you look at them anatomically, I actually was teaching a course this weekend on voice to pelvic floor health um, with a group of therapists. And I flashed an image. I said, what is this? They said, it's the pelvic floor. I said, no, it's, it's the vocal diaphragm. <laughs> they look the same, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, they share such similar functions, so. Yeah. Yes, yes, definitely. This whole, this whole, because it's interesting, Ayurveda does that in Chinese medicine, sees it as just vessels in the body, but there is a lot of work on, on food and food systems and the, the gut as well, but not in, not in quite the same way. Yeah. 
But yes, the gut and then the DNA. And that's become much more common now to start talking about our individual DNA, our DNA, our makeup and, and how that should guide uh, our individualized approach to treatment. I, really, that is, you know, the integrative approach, the, the film approach is really the future of the way that we have to practice because otherwise we're leaving out so many factors. There's really no way that I could carry the people that I see and that trust me with their health and care all the way to the finish line of getting better if I wasn't using it. Um, there's even preliminary research looking at um, a phenotype for pelvic organ prolapse do women have an underlying connective tissue issue that was inherited that increases their risk for prolapse? And what is there something that we can do about it? Where does collagen and collagen supplementation, you know, lie in all of this realm of if we have a tissue issue in pelvic PT, can it be helped by diving a little bit deeper? And the answer is always yes, but the emerging research on this is really encouraging. Yeah. And when we're just listening to this conversation, I feel encouraged. And I think that this integrative approach that you and, and I know many others are now beginning to advocate, particularly, I think, in women's health, is just fantastic. I think that it means that we're going to go beyond this kind of here's a tablet panacea type approach to a more tailored considered uh, approach to our health and wellness that lasts us a lifetime. Exactly. You're going to see thriving um, become the norm instead of hearing the stories um, of women come in who weren't listened to and told there was nothing that can be done. It's yeah. just simply not true. You can, you can thrive through menopause. You can. Oh, you can. <laughs> you can. And, and as someone who's in their 60s, you can, you can definitely get better mm -hmm. <laughs> as you get older. It, doesn't, it does not mean the end. It's definitely the beginning of the next phase. Right. You absolutely do not have to lose that bone mass and muscle mass. We can, we can keep going and, um, and, feel, and feel really good. You yeah. can. Ginger, it's been lovely talking to you and you know, getting a snapshot of the integrative work you're doing and championing, pioneering. How can my listeners find out more about the work you do and connect with you? Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Clarissa, for having me. I absolutely adore talking about this stuff, um, especially if, as I'm living it. As um, I actually wear my T-shirt, my super mom <laughs> T-shirt. I have three kids, and they're getting ready to fly the nest, you know, one by one. And so I'm living this, this, you know, reality too, along beside you and so many other women. Um, so I love talking about it. Thank you again. If people want to get in touch with me, um, you can go to integrativelifestylemed.com. That's the my institute where I do lots of teaching. And GardnerPelvicHealth.com is my clinic. So one for courses and one for clinic. And of course, you can always find me on Instagram and YouTube at Dr. Ginger Garner. I put out videos and reels. Uh, reels are almost daily. Videos are weekly. So there's lots of free content that you can find on both sites. 
plus through social media. So don't hesitate to reach out and I hope to hear from some of you. That's absolutely fantastic, Ginger. And we'll obviously, as always, put that in the show notes too so people can find and connect or connect with you through social. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. I've, I've learned loads as, as always in these conversations. Thank you for coming on and sharing your time and your wisdom and your passion. Thank you. It's been an honor and pleasure. Thank you for listening to Thriving Through Menopause. If you like this podcast episode, please hop over to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com and rate and review it. And thank you if you do that because it helps others to find the show. Want more news and views on perimenopause and menopause? Then sign up to my weekly newsletter, Heart of Menopause, over on Substack. Thank you once again for listening and see you next week for another guest interview helping you to thrive through menopause.